Good morning, Grace Chapel. All children between the ages of, uh, I guess, preschool right up through fifth grade, you are dismissed right now to uh, go have a wonderful lesson while your moms and your dads get a wonderful lesson too. Yeah. I got to be careful. I got to be really more careful of what I say when I'm up here because last week when I first came up, I said, if you remember, I can hardly wait for winter. Remember we had that excruciating heat all of, all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of this week, I went, God's going to answer my request. It's like, we're, we're coming, but then, yeah, so I got to be careful. So, you know, uh, a team of scientists from Surrey Nanosystems has the uh, current distinction of having created the blackest black known to man. I don't know if you knew that. It's darker than night. I, I don't know what that means, but it's darker than night. So, and so once an object has been created, I mean, coated with the patented, what they call Vanta black, it stops reflecting light. It's, it's crazy. And it, it, all, all visible depth and texture is lost. And the, the coated object, whatever it is here, a nice looking car, um, takes on the appearance of a void. It's like a black hole going down the road. So Vanta Black sets the world record at absorbing 99.96% of all visible light. Have you ever met somebody who's kind of like that? You know, they seem unable or maybe they're unwilling to reflect the least bit of light. Um, despondent, discouraged. They, they seem to walk through life with this, with this like chip on their shoulder. Um, and in professing Christians, people who say that Jesus Christ is their Savior, they may weep Jeremiah's tears, um, but they never dance David's dance. <laughs> you know, they, they recite all of Job's laments in the book of Job, but they never join in Mary's praise song for the Savior. Uh, they seem to prefer to cast shadows rather than to spread, reflect God's light. Uh, this world is plenty dark, isn't it? It's dark enough. And God has commissioned us to spread the good news of Jesus Christ that He has brought light into darkness. And you and I represent light. And the great need is for Christians like you and I, called and commissioned and enabled by God Himself to cut through the gloom of our present world with the, only, with the one and only message of hope. We gather this morning. Why? Well, because it's Memorial Day. <laughs> we gather this morning. Why? Because we are these people, aren't we? Amen? And we have come together to express our praise and our adoration to the God who has given us this task. It's why we've been left here. But the Bible points out that there are some problems. <laughs> There's always problems, right? Uh, and sometimes there can be this problem. Are you ready to go with me this morning into God's Word to look at some potential pitfalls along the path of worship that many of us may not even see, even as we have been worshiping here this morning. Are you ready? 
Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're about to enter into Your Word, Your precious truth that exposes who we are, that tells us of who we become through Your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we we pray for Your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to open our hearts, to receive it, and then to live it by Your power and Your grace this week. And we pray it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. The book of Amos, that minor prophet, depicts this problem. And the problem is not that God's people don't show up to worship. Oh, they show up and they worship. It's huge. The problem is is that they still consider themselves to be truly worshiping God when their actual worship is hollow. They are more coated in Vanta black than they are in robes of white light. Their worship has become nothing more than an irritating sound to God. Can you imagine that? Like, who here wants to ever irritate God? (laughs) God has His prophet Amos record in this one verse we're going to look at and record God's feelings. We always talk about our feelings, don't we? This is, these are God's feelings. Amos chapter 5, verse 23. God says through Amos to his children, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, your musical instruments, I will not listen. In other words, you might as well just pack up your stuff and go home. Don't even bother showing up. In response, you and I probably ask, so, so it's like, when does our singing together in worship on a Sunday morning become noise? Is it, is it when we go country? <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. I like, I like some country western song. Rap? Maybe it's when our, our worship becomes like more like top 40. Is, is that it? Is that what God's talking about? When do these instruments... When can these instruments become undesirable to hear? In other words, when do our attempts, all of us combined here, to ascribe glory and honor and praise to our holy God start to become annoying, irritating, even blasphemous sounds to Him? If it was true for Israel, and it was, God's chosen nation in 750 B.C., could this ever be true of God's chosen church in 2021 A.D.? This morning, I'm going to take us to some places in the Bible where we can gain some more clarity on what defines noisy, empty worship, and then commit together to do whatever it takes to not go there. What defines empty worship? First, and the biggest one, I think, worship without God. Worship without God. Bob Dylan saying, and I know I've quoted this many times because it's so true, that you've got to serve somebody, right? It's true. We all worship something or someone. No one on this planet is exempt from that. And that one that you serve, you worship. It might even be yourself. 
who was the object of your worship. In Exodus chapter 32, God's, the Lord God is on the mountain with Moses, Mount Sinai. People are below, and Moses is receiving all the next orders and rules for how to live life as children of God, and he, he's up there with God. And the Lord says to Moses in verse 7 of Exodus 32, go down for your people. Do you love that with God? Whose people were they? They were God's people, but right now, <laughs> they're your people. <laughs> Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, which technically is true. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded, commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and they have worshipped it, worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It, it's one of the craziest, zaniest stories in the Bible, isn't it? it? It's one of the quickest reversals of the recognition of who is really in control of your life, your destiny, the entire world. That you were taken from nothing to something and you forgot about it the very next day when you got up. It's like, what? When the Bible speaks of worship, it means so much more than a Sunday gathering of, very, of really friendly people. You, we are all friendly people, right? Okay. It means more than singing a familiar, nostalgic, emotionally laced song or a particular tune that you, you really get into. It just, it just moves you. It means more than getting some helpful information on Sunday to help, help you live life on Monday. It means actively bending your knee. Bending your knee in submission and in praise and in sacrifice to someone who is worthy of your attention someone who was worthy of your utmost devotion, your everything. And that's why we see what's happening here in Exodus as so offensive to God. He's watching our every move, every act of worship that went on here this morning. Nothing escapes His eye. He penetrates to the deepest parts that we don't even understand. So a golden calf and everybody, all God's people said, really? <laughs> you know, no matter how marvelous they may be to behold every one of our, of our human-made idols and monuments, like a golden calf, like, like your house, like your favorite Christian celebrity or your sports hero, none of them are worthy of worship in comparison to God. Not even your spouse. That's right, elbow each other. Not even your children. Not even your mom and dad. God alone is worthy of our worship because God alone made us as His image bearers. Designed to what? Reflect His glory. Not our glory or anyone else's glory. So when we worship without Him, or, or we substitute something instead of Him, 
It's the ultimate act of betrayal. Because we're devoting ourselves to to less than God created us for. We were created to worship God. We were created to glorify God. I was raised and and I was saved in a very old-school kind of church. I mean, uh, there weren't even cushions on the pews. It was like uh, you had to do penance every Sunday. (laughs) Please, not a long message today. I mean, oh. There was, there was a very common prayer that different men would deliver uh, when we opened up the service for worship. There was always this prayer bef- before worship, and, and I'd hear it all the time, and, and it kind of drove me nuts as a teenager. Um, it went something like this, dear God, please be with us here this morning, or, or, or dear God, please be present with us today. And I was a new Christian, but I'd been raised in the church, and I took this as this, this gentleman, this saint up front who was praying to God was, was giving an invite to God to show up. And, you know, like, we're here, so we sure hope you can be here. We know you're busy, but, you know, can, can you be here with us today? And as a teenager, I'm like, What? When isn't God somewhere? Answer? Never. He's omnipresent, right? He needs an invite to our worship service. Psalm, uh, and, and I go to Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? These are all rhetorical. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Remember when we went through the book of Jonah just a little while ago together? That was Jonah's issue. You can't run. You can't hide from God, right? So that's where where I was standing as, as, as a teenager. Good place to stand. Isn't it we who come to Him for worship? Isn't it we who respond to God's call on our life and we show up? Now, every one of us in this room made the effort, right? Today. Um, we got up. Some of you got ready. No, just kidding. Just, just, just kidding. We set aside what? Everything else. Pushed it aside. All the stuff that may have even sounded wonderful. No, not going to do that. To corporately honor His name. It's just once a week for one hour, sometimes a little longer. Why? Because He's God. And it's certainly not even close to enough. It's so minute, but we at least have agreed to do this together. But back to the prayer. Um, asking God to show up to our worship. In retrospect, with hindsight, I see now where the offering of that kind of a prayer done from a far more mature believer in Jesus Christ than I was at the time, I see where it might have actually been going. And I probably missed it. 
It may have been more along the lines of what God said earlier through Amos that we all read together today. It may have been with the intent of God, may you be here in the sense of may our worship be acceptable in your sight and to your ears, that our worship isn't hollow and you don't want to hear it anymore and you really don't want to be here. You're not pleased to be here. Do we ever worship without God? When you take time to consider all that the Bible reveals about God, who else can redeem a nation of slaves from a nation of tyrants in spectacular ten-plague fashion? Who else can create something out of nothing? I, I, I challenge you. Who? Who can do that? Something so vast it's beyond our imagination. Do you know that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies in our universe? There could be more than that, but who can count that high or who can see that far? It takes the light from our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, two and a half million light years to get to the next nearest of those hundreds of billions of galaxies. Who can bring the dead back to life with just a word of his mouth? Who else would sacrifice his own son for condemned enemies? The magnitude of God's power to transform not just your life, but the entire course of human history should be reason enough to worship with him rather than without him, right? Worship without God? It's unthinkable. Well, what else might define noisy, empty worship? Worship without love and heart. We sang about both of those this morning, if you noticed. Love. People probably think it's strange, if they're even up, and they see you get up on a Sunday morning, go to your car, and, and, and you do this pretty consistently on Sunday mornings. They probably think it's strange and think, why would you get up on Sunday morning Go to a church building and gather with other people every Sunday. And you might respond with, it's because I love God. Love. Paul so aptly illustrated the biblical idea of love when it comes to worship in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues, if I speak with the languages of men and of angels, but I don't have love, with that kind of an offering... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise without love. And in the United States here of America, we, we often talk about love in terms of passions and affections that bring us pleasure, right? Because it, it's all about, come on, you can say it, us, yeah, let's be honest. We fall in love with people, we fall in love with books, we fall in love with jobs, we fall in love with the church, we fall in love with dessert. <laughs> yeah. So long as you find them delightful, you love them. Key lime pie. Let's just meditate for a moment. No, I'm sorry. I, I got off track. See how easy it is? And then when our passions fade away, for a particular love, for a particular food, 
which is extremely often. We lose interest, we break up, and then we move on searching for what? Something new to love. We replace lost love with some other newfound love, and we do this as haphazardly and as often as we change clothes. When God's Word speaks of love, it adds a whole new dimension. And I think most humans miss the dimension but probably desperately crave it. Biblical love does stir the affections of our heart, and there is definitely a lot of emotion involved. But biblical love, true love, also carries with it this profound sense of unbreakable, loyal devotion. When God says He loves you, that's what He's talking about. It's unbreakable. It's loyal to the end. Someone says, you can count on me. How many times have you heard that and it got broken? Don't don't put your hands up. Because it hurts. Doesn't it hurt when you discover that that wasn't the truth? That the simplest of circumstances can change another's love. Something better came along. When God says, I love you to his children, his children saved by faith through grace alone in Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins, he means nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Romans 8, 34 and 35, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, Who, with that being the picture, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, pandemic? Oh, I add that. The answer comes a couple verses later. Verse 37, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you think of how vast that creation is, as I previously described with the galaxies, nothing, nothing is big enough or powerful enough to do that. God is never going to stop delighting in the love and devotion He shows to His children. It never gets old for God. And it can even be why at times He disciplines us to keep us solid on the right path because He loves us. Worship without love, a faithful, loyal love, is hollow. So what about the heart? That was love, because we can worship without our heart. And God talked to His people through the prophets. We read about the false worship songs and orchestrations through Amos. Through Isaiah, God said in Isaiah 29, 13, this people, so it's just His children, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, 
while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me, it's just a commandment taught by men. It's not the real deal. They don't know who I am. Because that would be real fear. The difference between love and heart is that love, as wonderful as it is, is the way that we, we show and experience our devotion to God. It's what we talk about, but the heart is the source of that devotion to God. A wicked heart produces a wicked kind of love, and we have plenty of that in our world today. A redeemed heart produces this redemptive love. That's what we need so much more of, particularly from God's own people, His children. So if your heart is reaching, striving for other things besides God, your worship may appear genuine. It may even sound wonderful to other people who are watching you and and listening to you, but you're going to feel incredibly empty inside, unsatisfied, discontent. There'll be less joy, no satisfaction. It's possible to praise God all day long with our presence, with our lips, with our giving, even our giving. But if it doesn't honor Him and Him alone, it won't do that unless it's given from our heart. Number three, we can... We can also worship under false pretense. Look at this familiar story, Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, that's King Herod in Israel, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And you're saying, Pete, come on, this is a little too obvious. Uh, Aren't you stretching it here? It's a little blatant, isn't it? Hang in there. You often hear about this story about King Herod. When? Christmas time. Yeah, winter. There's that winter idea again. Uh, The wise men approach Herod because they want to worship the coming king. That whole trip was about worshiping the coming king. And if you don't know who King Herod is, if if you're new to Scripture, he's one of the worst humans in the history of the world. It's actually quite a long list, but he's one of them, okay? And Herod is so paranoid that this Messiah king that was prophesied in the Old Testament is going to usurp his current reign that he orders the execution of all male children under the age of two in Bethlehem. When King Herod says, bring me word that I may come and worship him, it's a scam, right? It's, it's not hard for you and I to see why his desire to worship is so hollow. He's such a bad guy. He outright lies to the wise men about his motivation to worship Jesus Christ. And every one of us reading the story knows it, and we all point our finger at him at this empty, manipulating excuse for worship. Herod's more concerned about perception He's more concerned about saving his power, his reputation, uh, his place and his status. He worships himself. He worships the idea, be all you can be. Grab the gusto in life. 
and do whatever it takes to get it. And he misses his opportunity to truly worship the king of the world who can save his soul. Could that happen to anyone? See, this addresses our motivation. Why do we show up to worship? What's behind all the pomp and the circumstance that comes with our worship? And lastly, for this morning, we can sometimes worship without power. And I'm not talking about electrical power for the mics, for the video, for all the instruments. You see, we can handle that, that kind of power. And uh, we can still worship if we have to without that. Can't we? Can't we? Can we do that? Right. We can pull that off. But the object of your worship, whatever that is for you, the object of your worship, whatever that object is, will ultimately reveal itself as the true reason, the true power behind your worship. It's what motivates you. It's what inspires you. It's what gives you the energy and the power to worship. And the only way we discover the power behind our worship of our holy God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where it starts, and this is where it ends. Without God's saving gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot authentically, really, truly worship God. You just can't. You can go ahead and you can show up, and and I think that's okay because then we hope that wherever you do show up to worship God, you will hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to receive it, and then you can start to worship. But you can't worship until you receive it. You can go ahead and show up, but the power is self-inspired. It's forced, self-motivated, or as God describes it, it's empty, it's hollow, it's powerless. When no one else could, the Son of God made a way. He made a way for multitudes and generations of worshipers from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation to be able to draw near to God to be able to come into his presence to worship. Jesus said in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, he said this to the woman at the well, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The only way to the Father is through God the Son. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you've ever sensed that your devotion to God has been drained, drained by hollow, empty worship, then listen to the words of Jesus in John 10, 9 and 10. I am the door. You want to get into this? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And look at this. He will go in and out and find pasture, peace, rest, the ability to worship our Creator. The thief, a lot of them around, 
He comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Through Christ comes real living. And because of Christ comes the ability to truly worship. If you are without Jesus Christ today, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you're unworthy to even worship God. Repent by turning to God who is the forgiver of sin through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, for your sins. He's the giver of new life. He's the giver of the Holy Spirit who will indwell you upon salvation and lead you into true worship of the Father. Bend your knee to God through trust in Jesus' payment for your sin debt and confess Him as the true Lord and Savior that He already is. Acknowledge that. Believer in Jesus Christ, those of you who would say, I am born again, I'm saved. Maybe you've wandered. Has anybody ever wandered? Is anybody willing to admit it? Maybe it's been a little, maybe it's been a lot. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Almost the same advice. Repent of what sidetracked you from your first love. What you tried to replace that first love with. Make God again the object of your worship, the sole object of your attention. And He will restore the motivation and the, and the desire to worship Him again in truth. I want to close this morning by taking in a scene. It's a scene of the end of days for this planet. A scene where everything in the world and everything on it, all the things that people on the planet worship today, that will eventually fade away. It's Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This is the scroll that unfolds the entire tribulation period on the planet in judgment. And no one in heaven and on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John, the Apostle John is writing this, and he's so overcome, and he began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. And then one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. After all, this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, Jesus Christ, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, God, who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, 
each holding a harp, a harp, by the way, that God is going to listen to, in golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, which God listens to. And they sang a new song, saying, and here comes a worship song that is anything but hollow. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's our destiny by God's command. And then I looked and I heard around the thrones and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, like everybody's getting into this worship, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, listen to this, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders who were around the throne fell down and worshiped. We rise up together. Would you rise with me? We rise up together and worship and my prayer, I pray it's your prayer, is that we worship with hearts to God alone for Him to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have taken in Your Word. And Lord, we know through the power of Your Spirit, we are to live out that Word. And in doing so, that involves worship 24-7. And now we offer you our humble praise and adoration, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.